Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. Pleasure to see you this first day of the week, all of you who are here present and online. People remember songs very easily. Songs have long been used to help us remember stories, remember principles. We also tend to use acronyms in our daily educational lives uh, to recall things that perhaps are not so easily remembered like the corresponding musical notes and lines on the spaces of the musical pentagram and other useful things. Jesus used something a little different. He used a different literary device to help us not only remember spiritual teachings, but to also help us reflect on the profound truths of his spiritual teachings, things that would stay with us for times even after the teaching has been said. And this common literary device is what we're going to be studying today, starting here in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be staying in Matthew chapter 13 for the remainder of the afternoon. It says here, that same day, Jesus left the house and sat down by the Sea of Galilee. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat. He sat in the boat while the entire crowd stood on the shore. That's a great audience, a great way to use a pulpit, a makeshift pulpit in a boat. Then he used stories as illustrations to tell them many things. This uh, sentence here, he used stories as illustrations, and that's what we call parables. The truths that he was revealing were so profound that the parables that he used 2,000 years ago are still reverberating in the collective conscience of the world. We're still studying these parables. We're still learning from these parables, learning deep spiritual truths. And as you read them throughout the rest of your life, you learn something new every time you read them, new nuances, new profound things, new associations that really affect you profoundly because these parables present word pictures. And as we know, a picture is worth a thousand words. How much more a story that uses illustrations. You string all these series of images together into a parable, and you're revealing something very profound that is going to stay with you for a lifetime. That word parable that is used in the Greek comes from a compound Greek word, parabole, which is what I have up there, and it combines the Greek preposition para, which means alongside, with the noun form of the word bole, it sounds like ball, bole, which is something that you throw. So the word literally means something which is thrown alongside. And it's related to the word parallel, parabole, parallel. Some call a parable an extended simile. And those of you who know English know what a simile is. But in the parable, the story, a story is spoken and it's thrown alongside, which is where the meaning of the Greek word comes from a spiritual truth. So a story is told, but the spiritual truth is unspoken. The spiritual truth is kind of what's thrown alongside 
for you to kind of ponder upon and learn its meaning. As a rule, Jesus would talk about everyday events and situations that his listeners were very familiar with. Most of them were fishermen. Some of them were farmers. So in his stories, we often hear uh, things about fishing, things about farming. And perhaps it is because they, are deep, they show and illustrate deep spiritual truths in God's creation that have to do with fish, that have to do with plants growing, that have to do with seeds and all these other things. So we read here uh, in Matthew chapter 13, he starts telling them a parable. He says, listen, a farmer went to plant seed. Some seeds were planted along the road and birds came and devoured them. Later on, Jesus is going to explain this parable. This is what we know as the parable of the sower. Many of you are very familiar with this parable. It's a very simple parable, but the deep spiritual truths that it teaches are things that we constantly mull over. Uh, in this case, Jesus explains later on in verse 37, he is the farmer and the seed that is being sown is God's word or the gospel of Jesus. Now, if we were the farmer, right, because eventually we are following in Jesus' footsteps, and it is we who will throw that seed out, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing that I noticed here is that, you know, if I'm a farmer, right, and, and I'm going to sow seed, I'm going to try to, you know, look for a good patch of soil to sow the seed. I'm not going to waste the seed somewhere else. But something that strikes me in this parable is how Jesus sowed indiscriminately. This farmer is throwing seeds along the road. He's throwing seeds in, in rocky soil. He's throwing seeds in the thorn bushes. You know, somebody ought to tell the farmer, look, save your seed for the good stuff. But here is something that has struck me recently, and that is that Jesus sowed indiscriminately. And it's something that I, as somebody who's following in his footsteps, should do. I have the seed, the word of God, and it is unlimited. It's not like I have a limited amount. You know, when I go sow new seed, new grass seed, grass seed is, is, tends to be expensive. I try to save it. You know, I don't just waste it. I don't throw it on the bricks or <laughs> throw it in the rocks or anything like that. I say, okay, no, we're going to save it for the good soil. But we have the word of God in unlimited quantity. And so we must be like Jesus and sow his seed indiscriminately among all the soils. Because there is a power in this seed as we will see in this parable. The first area where the seed is falling is along the road here. And think about the road. The road is a place where a lot of people step on. Now, back then, they didn't blacktop the roads. They didn't put any cement. A road became a road literally because everybody was stepping on it so often and so frequently that it was packed hard. So nothing was growing on it. And so people just kept using it as a road. And so literally that soil is so, it's so tightly packed that when seed fell on it, what happened? It just stayed there. It, it wasn't accepted. And so the birds of the air saw the seed and you know what birds do? You know, I constantly, I'm fighting with the birds when I throw my grass seed in, in, in my yard. They come here and they take the seed away. Later on, we're going to see in his explanation of the parable that the birds is the devil. He's the one that goes and steals the word out of people's hearts. Other seed, we're told here, were planted on rocky ground where there was little soil. The plant sprouted quickly because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched. They withered because their roots weren't deep enough. Other seeds were planted among thorn bushes. 
and the thorn bushes grew up and choked them. So we see the next ground that we're presented here has some soil, but it's still very little. It's soft enough to receive the seed and something sprouts up pretty quickly. But later on, as the sun comes out and the, you know, the heat comes up, the, the root can get too deep because of the rocks. The soil is rocky. I actually have a patch of dirt in my backyard that has a lot of rocks in it. And if I were to take all the rocks out, there would be a big hole. So I just leave it there. And so the grass in that area tends to be kind of weak. So I see that and I remember the parable of the sower. The rocks are taking the place of the soil. And although the plants sprout quickly, meaning that the soil is receptive, it did receive it, it doesn't last long. When persecution comes, as Jesus will explain later on, that's what the scorching heat means. The testing of life, the problems, the issues. You can't stand the heat. And so the plants get scorched. The other ground that he talks about here is a ground covered with thorn bushes. And in this case, the thorn bushes represents the worries of life, the pleasures, you know, the distractions that life offers. And this, Jesus says, these distractions are like thorns in your life that choke you. They don't make you be fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. But these things in life choke the life out of you. And then towards the end, he says, other seeds were planted on good ground and produced grain. They produced 160 or 30 times as much as was planted. Then he ends this parable by saying, let the person who has ears listen. So the good soil takes in the seed. It recognizes its potential for exponential life. Not only does it take in the seed, but the seed is nurtured. And it provides anchor to it in the soil, permitting it to grow, permitting the roots to go in deep so that in times of trouble or testing or the scorching sun or the wind, that plant stays in there. And the roots actually transform the soil itself. It transforms the soil. So the good soil surrenders itself to the seed so that it may grow into a mature plant capable of reproduction. The soil, the good soil doesn't take in the seed for itself, but knowing that this seed will produce many other seeds. It's a multiplication effect. And for, for a more thorough explanation of the parable, you can read the explanation that Jesus gives the disciples in private in verses 18 through 23. Jesus often at the end of his parables said, let the person who has ears listen. And, you know, what is he saying? He said, hey, listen up. Let this sink in. Pay attention, he's saying. Understand what I'm trying to tell you. The disciples asked him in verse 10, why do you use stories as illustrations? This is God's word uh, translation of parables. Why do you use parables when you speak to people? And Jesus answered, knowledge about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but it has not been given to the crowd. So kingdom workers, those of us who've given our lives to Christ, those of us who've decided to follow in Jesus' footsteps and be those farmers to sow the seed, we've been giving insight through the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. One of the fruit that he produces in us is an understanding, insight into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We're allowed to understand, we're allowed to ponder upon these truths and get to some depth as our life goes along. 
However, the world, when they hear these things, they might understand it superficially. They might not get it at all, which is one of the reasons why Jesus used these parables. He wanted to reveal some deep spiritual truths to the people that would listen, which is why he always says, listen. And that's why he ended, if you have ears, let them hear. He's trying to tell you something. And everyone likes a good story, right? We all love to hear a good story. Think about why Hollywood is so successful. Because the movies, the TV shows, what are they? They're stories that you listen to, that you watch. Everyone likes a good story. It captures our attention. And those that are very powerful, why are they powerful? Because they connect with us in some emotional way, in some intellectual way. Some kind of truth is revealed. It gives us something to ponder upon. And it stays with us for a while. And a lot of them do that because they are a parable. A lot of the movies or the shows that you watch that are very successful at doing this, they are like parables because they are throwing a truth alongside. They're telling you a story, but meanwhile, there is a deep truth being revealed here. And those are the stories that really, really stay with us. They stimulate our thinking. We often wonder, well, what does this mean and what does that mean? Many YouTube shows have come out that attempt to investigate the deeper meaning of the Star Wars episodes or the deeper meaning of these other movies that have been out there because it really works on people's minds. And also these stories uh, illustrate sometimes very abstract or difficult spiritual principles that really couldn't be explained any other way except by the things that Jesus explained because he understands them profoundly. And they are easy to remember. Everyone who's read the story of the parable of the sower knows what the parable of the sower is about. They're very easy to remember. Then he adds, those who understand these mysteries will be given more knowledge and they will excel in understanding them. However, some people don't understand these mysteries. Even what they understand will be taken away from them. That is why I speak to them in this way. They see, but they are blind. They hear, but they don't listen. They don't even try to understand. Jesus is saying here that some people don't really care about the deeper truths of life. They don't care to understand deeper mysteries. And so Jesus says to those people, even what they think they understand is going to be taken away from them. Don't throw pearls to pigs. Don't give what is holy to dogs. So Jesus, that's why he spoke in parables in a way to keep the holy things, the pearl things, the rich things of the kingdom of God away from those who did not care about them. He wanted to conceal the truth from those minds that were closed. When asked why he used the parables, at first he responded in the positive, but now in this part he responds in the negative. Because many people just wanted to try to trap him. Many people wanted to try to accuse him of things without even understanding what is it that he's doing. And people, some people are like that in life. They're very negative. You know, they are devoid of intellect and understanding. And so Jesus says, fine, if that's the way that you want to live, then, you know, even what you think, you know, is going to be taken away from you. So that's a warning. That's a warning to us. Are we the kind of people who are who like nonsense and foolishness? Because if that's the kind of person you are, then even the good things of life are going to be kept away from you because God doesn't throw his pearls to the pigs and he doesn't give what is holy to the dogs. And so that's something that you have to decide for yourself. If you want to be a, a pig or a dog Or do you want to be a child of God who not only receives the mysteries, but like he says here, they will excel in understanding them because that's what God wants to promote in you. He wants you to ponder. He gave you a brain to use it. 
Not just to hold a hat on your head or hold your hair, but he wants you to use your brain. He wants you to think and ponder upon the words of God. And there is no other literature out there in the world that is going to make you think. Jesus' words are for thinking people. They're for intelligent people. They're for mature people. They're not for stupid people. God's word are not for the stupid or for the foolish. If you're a child of God, you're a smart, you're an intelligent person, and God wants to make you even brighter. And the words of people don't accomplish that, but the words of God do. That's what Jesus says here. Then he says here, they make Isaiah's prophecies come true. You will hear clearly, but never understand. You will see clearly, but never comprehend. These people have become closed-minded and hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that their eyes never see. Their ears never hear. You think Jesus was upset at these people going on and on about this? He says, their minds never understand, and they can never return to me for healing. Jesus was upset as our father for people who refuse to accept his healing words. His words can heal. His words can help you. But some people are just so stupid. They think they know better. And they don't get healed because they think that they are wiser. You know, it's funny that the world calls Christians closed-minded. Anybody ever call you that? Oh, you're so closed-minded because you're a Christian. Well, Jesus turns that on his head. He says, no, -uh. it says Isaiah talked about you. Isaiah prophesied about you. You're not only closed-minded, but you're narrow-minded as well. He said, that's just a reflection of themselves. If people call you narrow-minded or closed-minded, they're just reflecting on themselves. Uh, those who close their minds to the truth of the kingdom of God are the ones who cannot see or hear the truth. The truth is too much for them. Just like in a movie a long time ago, I heard an actor say, you can't handle the truth. That's the truth, right? Some people just can't handle the truth. Their minds are closed. And God says, he looks at them with pity. You can't be healed. You won't turn to me for healing because you think you know. They remain sick. They remain blind. They remain condemned. And Jesus wanted to heal people, but people needed to understand that they needed the healing. Someone who is sick often doesn't recognize that they are sick. They will go on perpetuating their problem, dragging others into it with no end in sight. But Jesus is the only one who can stop the madness, stop the vicious cycle, stop the sin vortex. But you got to turn to him. You got to be willing to accept the word and not accept it. Mull on it. Think on it. Dwell on it. Meditate. Let the truth speak to you and transform you. That good soil produced a good crop because it accepted the seed. It allowed the seed to transform it. It allowed the seed to take root and become a, a productive plant. That's what we got to do. But you have to unstop your ears. You have to stop listening to the madness out there and the foolishness and give your heart to God. Jesus says here, blessed are your eyes. Because they see. He's speaking to the kingdom citizens now. And blessed are your ears because they hear. I can guarantee this truth. Many prophets and many of God's people long to see what you see but didn't see it. To hear what you hear but didn't hear it. Kingdom people can see. 
kingdom people can hear. Then Jesus proceeds to explain the parable of the sower, but we're going to skip that part. I'll let you read that on your own. And we'll turn to this other illustration that Jesus used here. In verse 24, Jesus used another illustration, or in your translation, another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, this next set of parables that we're going to examine all start out the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like. They all share some very deep insight about God's kingdom, about the kingdom of heaven. And he could be talking about the kingdom of heaven is something profound. We understand from our studies in scripture that oftentimes the kingdom of heaven is the church. It's talking about the church. That's the part of the kingdom of heaven that is here, that is within our grasp, that we can be a part of, or God makes makes us a part of. But oftentimes the kingdom of heaven encompasses a whole lot more than that. Sometimes the kingdom of heaven, we can't tell where it ends and where it starts. It may start here and it, and it ends who knows where, because the kingdom of heaven is profound. It's, it's a whole other plane of existence that you can participate in today, right now in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end here. It's something eternal. You can participate in something eternal. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in a field. So we got another illustration using seeds, using farming here. And in this case, the seed is still the gospel. It's still the word of God. But Jesus later on explains this parable too, because the the disciples asked him, you know, what does this parable mean? And he again offers another explanation. So in verse 38, he tells them that the field is the world. So the field is not the church. The field is the world, the entire world. And a man planted good seed in in the field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy planted weeds in the wheat field and went away. When the wheat came up and formed kernels, weeds appeared. The owner's workers came to him and asked, Sir, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? He told them, an enemy did this. And his workers asked him, Do you want us to pull the weeds? I can relate to this parable, man, because weeds are something that I'm constantly fighting in my yard. Any of us who have a yard and who want nice green grass to come out, we're constantly fighting the presence of the weeds. You know, I buy a bag of seeds and the bag says there are no weeds in there, but the weeds come out. They just appear out of nowhere. It's like an enemy came and, you know, sowed some weeds in there. So I know how, how he feels about this. And it's interesting how it says here. While people were asleep, the enemy planted the seeds. And to me, this speaks of the insidious nature of the devil's work in the world. The devil's work happened without us being aware of it. We're not susceptible to the insidiousness of evil. It might even live in you. You might even be an agent of the devil's work without even knowing it. Just like somebody can plant a virus in your computer and make your computer do stuff and you don't even know you're using your computer. And meanwhile, it's sending emails and spam and doing all kinds of stuff. It's kind of imitating the devil's work. It's very insidious. Good seed has been planted, but while people were asleep, the devil attempts to do evil, to undermine the good work of the kingdom of God. And that phrase, while the people were asleep, could mean that we're just unaware of how the devil does this. Or maybe we're just ignorant 
naive about it, naive about what is evil. And Jesus says that we need to be wise about what is evil so that we don't become pawns of the devil, even here in the kingdom, because the devil's not so much interested in deceiving the people that are already deceived. He, he doesn't want to invest. He's lazy, so he doesn't want to use too much work to do that. Where he's really working is where the wheat is planted. That's where he plants the, the weeds. So here in God's kingdom, this is where he wants to do the work. And he's going to try to use you. If you're naive or if you're lazy and you don't really care to know much about God's kingdom, which is why Jesus you know, warned us in the verses before that we need to have ears to understand what is going on. We need to understand his words. We need to want to mull them over and meditate on them for these deep spiritual truths to be revealed in us so that we don't become a pawn of the devil's work. Because you will. You will become a patsy for his work. Good plants come up and fruit like they're supposed to, but sometimes the weeds appear as well, and they're really tough to get rid of. And so the worker says, hey, you know, let's just pull them out. Sometimes I go in my backyard and I see some weeds, and, I just, and I'm there pulling them out. My wife says, what are you doing out there? And says, I'm pulling out the weeds. You know, so I'm live, I live this parable, you know, the whole summer. <laughs> I'm living this parable, and I'm remembering it. I'm remembering these deep spiritual truths as I take these weeds out. And I'm like, man, are there any weeds like that in my heart that I need to be pulling out? Any weeds in my brain somewhere that I'm not aware of? So they want to pull the weeds out, but the master says, no, no, let both grow together until the harvest. When the grain is cut, I will tell the workers to gather the weeds first and tie them into bundles to be burned. But I'll have them bring the wheat into my barn. And so the harvest is judgment day. When Jesus explains the parable, he says that the harvest is judgment day and the workers are the angels. You can read about that in verse 39. So he's going to send the angels out and they are going to harvest the world. And they are going to take all the weeds, all those patsies, all those pawns of the devil. Doesn't matter if they were naive or didn't know. They should have listened to the word of God. And they're going to get tied up and they're going to be burnt. How does that sound to you? And then he's going to take the wheat and he's going to gather it into his barn. Notice how these parables that Jesus is going to give to us here, these that are like the kingdom of God, when he says the kingdom of God is like, they all have a message about judgment. They all have a message about God's kingdom. And they're going to have a message about judgment. There's only one safe place. And that is in the kingdom of God. And there's only one safe way to be, and that is wheat, good seed, good soil. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And he's giving us a good gardening tip. Oftentimes, I want to pull the weeds out, and some good grass comes along with the weed. <laughs> so I, you got to let them grow a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but if you let the, the weed grow a little, I know it looks ugly, but if you let it grow a little, they're easier to pull out. If you try to pull them out when they're little and when you, when you first notice them, you're going to pull out some good stuff along with them. You got to let it grow a little. And then they're a cinch that you can just grab them and pull them out. And they got these long roots. It's not good to make a judgment is what Jesus is telling us here. He's telling us don't judge anything before it's time. This is a lesson. 
in God's kingdom. Wait until the Lord comes. He says, wait until judgment day. Because sometimes the weeds are so interlocked with the wheat that if you try to get rid of one, you're going to hurt some of the good stuff. And sometimes we can't tell which is which. The weeds that Jesus was talking about here, if you read about it in the Greek, it uses a specific word, which is a plant that looks like wheat. It looks like wheat. And you've seen them, right? You've seen some weeds that, wait a minute, is that wheat growing in my yard? No, it's not. It's a weed. And so because it looks similar, you might go and, and grab what you may think a weed is, and you're uprooting a wheat, and you're hurting a citizen of God's kingdom because you're judging too soon. And so Jesus is saying in this parable, the, that's the angel's job. The angels are going to do that. They're the ones that are going to separate the wheat from the wheat. It's not our job. Now, yes, that doesn't mean don't judge, because you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about judgment. There are judgments that we're called to make. Those that are very obvious, those that are very apparent. Jesus is very clear in Matthew 18, what to do when we have to make a judgment. But this is talking about the kind of judgment where I'm condemning somebody where I'm judging somebody as evil, where I'm calling somebody a fool, and they may not be. I don't know. I got I to gotta trust God. I got to let the wheat grow with the weeds, and the angels are going to separate them at the end. Jesus was not teaching here that we should not exercise church discipline or judgment, but that there are some things that we just can't tell. And so we got to let sin run its course. And you read about that expression too in the Old Testament. Remember when we read the Bible last year? We went through the Bible in a year. Didn't you remember reading how God oftentimes had to let sin run its course? The sinful actions of some people had to come to a head in order for God to take action and judgment so that everybody would be paying attention and say, whoa, we're not going to do that. So that the smart people would realize that, right? Because some people that are not smart are just going to do the same thing over and over again. Then Jesus uses another illustration here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, here's another comparison. It's like a mustard seed that someone planted in a field. It's one of the smallest seeds. However, when it has grown, it is taller than garden plants. It becomes a tree that is large enough for birds to nest in its branches. So here, in the next two illustrations, God's kingdom is being compared to something really, really small, something that you can hold on on the tip of your finger. Look at that little mustard seed. It's like in the tip of the finger. It's like a piece of dirt. It's like a piece of sand. It's very, very small, but it has tremendous impact. You cannot underestimate its impact. You cannot measure its impact by its size. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. It's something really, really small, but it has tremendous impact on its surroundings. That is talking about the built-in power that God's word has. The power is not coming from us. Power is coming from the word of God. It can spread, it can grow amongst those who receive it. The mustard seed is about two millimeters in diameter. It's not the smallest seed out there, but among the big trees, it is one of the smallest seeds in the big tree category. You may think it's a small grain of dirt, but when the mustard seed grows, some of the largest mustard seeds, uh, the trees themselves can 
be as high as 30 feet. The crown can be around 30 feet, 30 by 30. Huh? That's pretty big. It's large enough, Jesus is saying here, to house birds and probably squirrels and raccoons and, and all that stuff. And it gives you a nice shade. It's very influential. And mustard trees also grow relatively quickly. They can go from zero to fully grown, some of them in three months. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, look it up on Wikipedia. God's kingdom can start very small. It can grow really fast amongst those who receive his word. Then he uses another illustration here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman mixed into a large amount of flour until the yeast works, worked its way all through the dough or worked its way through all the dough. So here, now the kingdom is compared to something even smaller. <laughs> yeast are one-celled life forms. For those of you who didn't know, yes, yeast is alive. It's a eukaryotic cell, a member of the fungus kingdom. And most of you use leaven, otherwise known as baker's yeast. And that's what it is. It's a one-celled animal. To you, it might look like white dust coming out of a little envelope, but they are living organisms. And you mix it up with the flour, and like Jesus says here, it works its way through the dough like in, in seconds or even less than a second. It, it has influential, it's, it has impactful growth. So Jesus in these two illustrations, he's showing how quick the nature of the gospel is. It works quickly. It spreads quickly. It's very effective at accomplishing its purpose. Like God says here, my word, which comes from my mouth, is like rain and snow. It will not come back to me without results. It will accomplish whatever I want and achieve whatever I sent it to do. Isn't that amazing? So when we're preaching this powerful word of God, it doesn't depend on you, really. I mean, yeah, you need to open your mouth and, and, and talk. But after that, the power is in the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to be working with you and doing the things that you could never do. It's not up to you to convince people. It's not up to you to have somebody touch somebody's heart or produce some kind of conviction in somebody. That's not your job. Okay? And it's not your job to judge where you're going to throw the seed either. That's not our job. Our job is to grab the seed and just throw it out there. Open your mouth and talk. The Holy Spirit and God's word will accomplish their purpose. They will do so. They can do it. They've been doing it forever since time began. And so don't think you have the power. You don't. That's why, you know, if you're talking and you're preaching and you're so self-conscious because you're drooling all over yourself, or maybe you're mispronouncing words, don't worry about it. It's not up to you. Even with all the drooling and the mispronunciations and the lack of articulation that you may have, God will accomplish his purpose. Because it's the word of God. Isn't that the excuse Moses gave? Right? I mean, I know how Moses felt because sometimes I, I drool and, and my nose is running and, and I, you know, I get a little self-conscious about that. But then I have to remember, no, it's God's word that is powerful. You know, let me drool and let my nose run so that people make fun of me. But in spite of that, they're going to listen to the word of God and it's going to accomplish its purpose. Then God gets glorified in spite of me and I'm happy. And that's how we have to think about it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. When a man discovered it, he buried it again. He was so delighted with it 
And he went away, sold everything he had, and bought that field. Now, in these parables, uh, now the kingdom of heaven is being compared to two, two kinds of people. And there are two kinds of treasure being spoken about here. It's, it's a treasure, but it's buried, meaning you can't tell. You won't be able to see it. You won't be able to say, oh, here it is, or there it is. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds like something Jesus said about the kingdom. You can't say, here it is, or there it is. It's buried. It's hidden. And this man, he didn't know what he was looking for. He was just, you know, strolling along. And what does it say? He kind of discovered it. He happened upon it by accident. Some people happen upon the kingdom of God. They're not even looking for it. They happen upon it by accident. But these, this person is special because he recognizes the value of the treasure. He recognized it so much that he was like, holy moly, I got I to gotta buy this field. This is not my field. So let me hide the treasure. You've done that, right? You go to Target or Kohl's and you find a good deal. You're like, well, I can't buy this now. So let me hide it somewhere else <laughs> over here where nobody's going to find it. And I'll go home, get the cash, <laughs> and I'm going to buy this. <laughs> we know how that is, right? Sometimes I've left stuff, and a week later, it's still there, hidden. So this man did that. I'm glad to know I was, I'm not alone in that way of thinking. He did that. He hid it, and he sold everything he had. I mean, this man recognized the worth of God's kingdom. He sold everything he had. And he bought that field. That's what he wanted, that treasure. The kingdom of God was everything to him. And then that kind of helps me remember what Jesus said, right? Those who try to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose their lives will save them. This man understood that God's kingdom was worth more than his life. And so he lost his life, but he gained eternity. And the, this next person is a little different. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, he said, also, so this is a similar parable, also, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was searching for pearls. So this one is different. The other guy, he didn't know what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for anything. <laughs> he just discovered something amazing. But this guy, he's looking for something. He knows what he's looking for. This guy, he's a merchant. He's searching. He's looking for fine pearls. So that's very specific. Some of you, you know, you've been religious. You've been looking for God for a long time. I can't say that about myself. I, I was trying to stay away from God. That was my story. I didn't want to know God. God came looking for me. <laughs> so I'm like that other man. But some of you are like this man. You know what he's worth. You look for him and you search. And like this man, he found a valuable pearl. In some versions, it's called the pearl of great price. And so he went away, and like the other man, he recognized that it was worth more than himself, than his whole life. He sold everything he had, and he bought that pearl, the pearl of great price. So in both of these parables, a person finds and recognizes something of great value, and they sell everything to purchase it. That, that uh, quality, selling everything that you have, that's unique. To people who are kingdom citizens, they recognize the value of God's kingdom. And they give up everything that they have because they know it's value. Some stumble, it, stumble upon it accidentally, like the treasure. But other times, they are looking intently for it, 
like the merchant who was looking for fine pearls. But we know, regardless of which way you find it, to gain the kingdom requires great sacrifice. But those who do it, do it because they recognize its value. So then he says, this is the last parable we'll do today. He says, the kingdom is like a net, a dragnet, some of your versions will say, that's thrown into the sea and it gathers all kinds of fish. And when it's full, they pulled it to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers and threw the bad ones away. Here's another parable talking about how the kingdom of God, this one looks like the parable of the weeds and the tares, right? The weeds and the wheat. Because at the end, bad stuff is separated from the good stuff. But this is like a dragnet, you know, a net you throw into the sea. And once you throw a net into the sea and you pull it to the shore, you're in no control of what that net is trapping. It's going to trap great fish, but it's also going to trap stuff that you don't want to eat. All kinds of fish are caught in the dragnet. He says, that's how the kingdom of God is. All kinds of people are here. You know, I look out there and I see all kinds of fish. I don't know who the good ones and the bad ones are. It's not my job to judge. Thank God. That's the job of the angels at the end of the age. But we got all kinds of fish in this kingdom, don't we? We've, we've seen them. Some, some good, some bad, right? We got the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the workers who are the angels are the ones who are going to separate the good fish from the bad fish. The fish can't do that upon themselves. All kinds of fish are going to be in the church, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be accepted by God. God is going to sift through. And just like another illustration that Jesus gave us, like the sheep and the goats, remember that one? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's what judgment day is going to be like. So Jesus says here, the same will happen at the end of time. The angels will go out and separate the evil people from the people who have God's approval. Those are the people who accepted the word, who recognized the value of the kingdom, who gave up everything that they had because they wanted the kingdom of God. Those are the people that have God's approval. Those are the good fish. Those are the wheat. The, the others are going to be thrown into the blazing furnace. Jesus is not mincing words here. They will cry. And they will be in extreme pain there. Reality check. That's what's going to happen. Listen carefully, Jesus says. Listen carefully. Take this in. This is going to happen. This is why Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to offer himself up as the only sacrifice that can take away sins, as the only one who can allow us to enter into this kingdom. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We have decided that we know better than God. We have decided that we know more than God. We have decided that we don't need to listen to God's word. And in our strain, God would have let us die, but he didn't because he loves us. And he wanted to save us. He, does not, he doesn't want us to know the crying and the extreme pain in that place. He doesn't want us to know that. That's a component in all these parables. Nothing good will be there. You're going to be crying for the rest of eternity and in extreme pain. Why? Because you're going to be alone with your own sorrows, 
your own bitterness, and your own regrets. I mean, that's enough to endure in this life, isn't it? That's enough to live in this life. You want to spend eternity with nothing good but just your own self-pity? That's why you'll be crying in extreme pain. Jesus says, that's not why I made you. I want to spare you from that. He wants us to hear him loud and clear. He says, I am the only one that has God's approval. Follow me. I'm the only way to the Father. Follow me. You don't know what you're talking about. Follow me. Let's get that message clear. Get, take these parables in. God has made it easy, really easy, for us to choose life. And that means choose Jesus. Not you. Not anyone else. Choose Jesus. Choose life. If you want to make that commitment, you need to understand that your gods are lousy. The gods you pray to are lousy. The gods you believe in are nothing. And you need to set them aside. You need to hate them with a passion. And you need to get rid of them. And you need to let Jesus into your life and worship him only. Embrace him only. Learn from him only. He is gentle. He is humble. And you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise. Because that's what his words do. Not your words, not your thoughts. His. Be like that merchant. Be like that person who found that treasure. Recognize its value. Open your eyes. Open your ears. And understand so that you choose life and get God's approval. And, and if you recognize those things, all it takes is a surrender of your life. You know how the man went away and sold everything he had and bought the field? You know how the merchant sold everything he had and bought the pearl? It's called repenting and being baptized. That's, that's what it is. So it's, not, it's a simple thing to do, but you have to get there. You have to get to that point in your life to truly surrender and get God's approval by obeying the gospel, recognizing its truth and surrendering to it. In baptism, as many people here have done, that's how we begin to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior and imitate him as we walk in his steps. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.